This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused and he who reproves a wicked man incurs Injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and the years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple... Let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, we live in an age of modern, some call it postmodern times, with many advancements, expansions. Now, my aim in setting this is is not to, to make it sound like I have come up with all of these things. These are actually just a part of cultural studies and the reality of moving into new times and, and the advancements of culture. But with every advancement that we have experienced in culture, what you have to at least admit is that there are good things that have come from advancements, but that every advancement comes with costs. Comes with cost. Let me give you some of these advancements. Once again, these are not my words, actually from study from others, but... Wealth used to be the management of assets by a family, a community, family assets. And what it advanced into was the individual accumulation of money. Part of that advancement is also how work is now accomplished. So money or wealth has changed or has advanced. Work 
used to be on the backs of human resource, people doing trade, people using their hands and their gifts and their skills. And then as time has advanced, as ingenuity has advanced, they were replaced with engines and machines and technology. And the only work that is left to do is for the things that our machines can't do. Knowledge was passed through wisdom. Education was brought through wisdom. And with advancement, it moved into the accumulation of information. Now, all of these expansions have even developed over time and gotten more and more rapid. But these come with major costs. And, and, and I don't want to sit here and, and, and pretend like there's not beauty in these advancements. But what I want to highlight is the cost that comes with advancement. And with all of these advancements into modernity or into the modern age, there is a common thread, and I can only highlight one of the costs, but there is a common thread with advancement, and that is this, and Andy, Andy uh, Crouch puts it this way, full modernity is you do not need relationships to get things done. As times have advanced with management, it was community management. We had to manage our resources and wealth was a management of, of the estate, of, of the assets of the family. And it took the family to do it. Now with the accumulation of wealth, it's all about what I can have, who cares about others. It's not needed to manage those things with others. Now I and removed from community with trade as engines have has come into place and technology I can now just not need the community of working together and the teamwork of getting things done I can just do it on my own with the, the access to information. I actually don't need a person to pass down wisdom to me. I can just Google search and I can just find information. And all of these things have left us in a place where it is hard for us to really understand a book like Proverbs because we look at it as just more information. The problem with full modernity, which we said is, I do not need relationships to get things done. With full Christianity, if you will put it that way, we are fully dependent upon relationship yes. with Christ and his spirit to get anything done. Yes. What full modernity does is makes everything personalized, but it doesn't make it personal. Meaning when you walk into Starbucks and you go, hey, can I get this, you know, decaf, frappuccino, kappa, you know, uh, no, 
you know, tall or whatever, put some whip on it or take the whip off or whatever it is, make it pink or, or however they do it. And they go, can I get your name? Often misspelled, but can I get your name? And they personalize your cup, but they don't know you. They don't know you. Your phone knows your name. Hey, Suri. Hey, what's up, Aaron? I can change your voice. She knows my address. She knows where I parked. She knows all of my information, but she does not know me. She has face recognition, but she does not know me. We are far more connected than we have ever been, but we are far less known than we have ever been. This creeps into our faith. Not only creeps into our faith, it's a cancer to our faith. It eats away at our faith because we begin to believe that as we fully develop, we become less and less dependent. And so what we do is we personalize for ourselves a Jesus who knows our name, but doesn't know us. Or we know information about Jesus and we know information about who he is, but you don't know the person of Jesus. The problem with idol worship is that you get to carve a personal image of what you want that idol to be. That's why in scripture it says you cannot carve yourself an image of God. You cannot make God into an image because what you'll do is you'll carve a person. I want my God to be strong. And so you'll carve him strong. You'll personalize for yourself a God in which you want him to be. And in that you don't know who God is. Isn't it interesting that when God wanted us to know him, he did not make a carving. He made a person. He wrapped himself in flesh and sent to us a Jesus. Jesus offends our modernity because what we want is information. God, tell me the answer of what I should do in this time. Give me more information. God, let me just Google you. What would you do in this situation? What we have done in our faith is dehumanize God. He is all God, and he has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus offends this because when we want to know what to do, often we'll go, what should I say? And sometimes Jesus says something, and sometimes he doesn't say something. Sometimes he acts like a lion, and sometimes he acts like a lamb. Sometimes he's turning tables and calling them whitewashed tombs, and other times he's filled with great compassion. He's angry and does not sin, but he's broken and weeping. Isn't it amazing 
that every party, political or not political, has taken Jesus and tried to fit him into their party. Jesus cares about everything we care about. The best illustration that I can use for that is you guys. As a pastor, I can find myself in these kinds of situations when I see this, is that somebody will come to me and say, Pastor, I'm having, can I just chat with you alone? Sure. I'm having a real hard time with this person. Spouse, relationship, friend, community group, Facebook friend, whatever. I'm having a real hard time with this person. And they lay out fully their side. And I'm really just trying to sit there and listen. And, and honestly, because I'm not in the situation, I don't actually know if what you're saying is actually what's happening or just how you're seeing what's happening. So in trying to listen and care, what I'll end up doing is try to ask questions and work through it. And then inside of that, try to give, man, let me pray with you. People get frustrated because I don't give real clear, like, do this, do that. And there's a reason to that. And here's, here's the reason why. Because I've had so many of us who will go back to that other person and say, Pastor Aaron said... <laughs> This, there's a lot of reasons you use somebody's name and authority is because you've lost your name and respect and authority. You've got to use somebody else's. And you use that and say, this is what he said. And then that other person gets mad at who? <laughs> Me. Because I would say such a thing. And then it comes back to me. Hey, you said this. And so they're mad at you. And I go. That doesn't sound like me. That's not even in the spirit in which I said it. They've taken the words and used my name and my authority to validate their sin. Their brokenness. Rather than, rather than understanding that there are many people who in the name of Jesus and his authority are quoting him, but don't have his spirit. They're using his name and authority, but they don't have relationship with him. Covenant is the basis of wisdom. You see, in the book of Proverbs, the foundation of wisdom is passed through covenantal relationship. Father, son. Mm -hmm. Wisdom is passed through relationship. This is not just advice because if you get to spots in here, what will frustrate you is one time it says speak to a fool. Another time it says don't speak to a fool. Which one is it? Depends. On what? Knowing the situation, knowing the people, knowing the context, knowing the spirit, knowing God. What we want is answers. What we get is Christ. What we get is a relationship. When we hear something like Jesus is the answer, 
We hate that. So what we see in Proverbs 9 is a father speaking to his son, and here's how he explains wisdom. And I want you to notice this. If you look at what wisdom is, it's not a bunch of information. It's actually a person. It's a woman. Wisdom is personified. Look at the things that it says. Verses 1 through 3. If we can put those up there. Do we have the, oh, the list? Yeah. Wisdom is prepared. Look at that. She has a foundation. She's hospitable. She reproduces. She raises up and she sends out. Look at that. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her pillars. She's slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine and she set the table. And then she sends out her young women into the high places to call out. Notice this. She has everything prepared. She has done the work. She has set the table and she has people who have listened to her, other young women who have listened to her, whose lives have been so transformed that they get to go out and declare, come, come to the table. And what is the invitation? Look at the invitation. The invitation is whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever lacks sense, she says, come eat my bread and drink wine. And I have mixed and leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. What is the invitation? The invitation is she is hospitable. She's inviting. She's calling people to come into her home and sit at the table. This is not a transfer of knowledge. This is Come into relationship with me. This is not a transfer of information. This is come dine with me. This is not a I'm smarter than you. This is a come sit with me. Come sit at the table. I've prepared everything. I've done the work. Come sit at the table. And what does it say? Leave your simple ways and walk in the way of insight. Notice that this is not a one-time call of hear me, eat with me. This is a let's walk this out over the course of the rest of your life. Wisdom is far more like a journey than it is like an answer. Where you need somebody walking with you. But look at the risk of this kind of living. The risk of this kind of living is that it's not for everyone. Matter of fact, most wisdom is not received very well. Look at what it says in verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or they will hate you. Whoever, verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. He who reproves a wicked man gets himself injured. Notice this. It costs the giver something to give this kind of wisdom because they're putting their own life on the line in order to give it. Notice the cost of wisdom. Wisdom is not well received and every time wisdom is give, given, there is a sense of I could be killed for this. Have you ever thought of this gospel message being shared as 
this reality of sow your seeds, scatter the seeds, seeds, and, and Jesus says it's like a seed that falls on all different kinds of soil. And the soils that are mentioned, there's four of them, and three of them are bad soil, and one of them bears fruit. We have such a view of what we share being successful based upon how many people like us when we share it. Much of our wisdom is given to gain approval rather than realizing to give this could cost me everything. And most will not. But there are some, verse 9, that will grow and that will love you. There are some that will grow and love her. And those ones will receive more learning, more growth. They will become wiser. They will long more for it. They'll be hungry for it. And then there's the starting place. Here's the starting place. It doesn't give you the end of wisdom. It gives you the beginning of wisdom. You got to notice that. Because wisdom is not about a finish line. It's about a foundation. And the beginning of wisdom is where? The fear of the Lord and knowing not something but someone. Here's where Wisdom starts in a respect and a worship of God and in a knowing of God. And that is where true wisdom starts. That is where true wisdom is built upon. And that kind of wisdom, notice what it says, will multiply your days. It will lead to life. It will lead to life. And here's the other thing, verse 12. If you're wise... You are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This verse is so interesting because here's what it says. When you enter into that relationship and you start learning from wisdom and you start growing in that, you still look and go, I'm the one who has gained and I'm the one who has to bear if I scoff. This is a call to the table. Now let's look at folly. Folly, according to verse 13, is loud, seductive, and has no experience. Says she knows nothing. She likes to scream. She likes to seduce you. But she doesn't know anything. She has no experience. She hasn't prepared anything. What else does she do? She doesn't invite you into her house, but she sits at the entrance in the high places. Notice she has nobody to send out to speak for her because she likes to elevate herself and she likes to sit at the door. She loves to say, come and do surface shallow things. Why? Because you're going to find out she's hiding things in her home. She doesn't want you to see. So she stays at the entrance. Notice that she mimics wisdom. She says the exact same thing wisdom says, but just tries to say it louder. Come, all who are simple. Come, turn here, turn here. 
She tries to mimic wisdom. But once they come, once they come, she tells them something. She says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Here's what she calls you into. She calls you into following your own passions, stealing from others and isolating yourself from relationship. She calls you into autonomy, self-seeking passions, and she calls you into something that nobody rejects who wants to who doesn't want to hear that message do what you want you don't need anybody steal from others taste better be for yourself it's all about number one take care of yourself take care of your own who cares about everybody else as long as you get yours And bread eaten in isolation? Why would you come sit at the table with wisdom when you could sit alone and eat your own bread? But verse 18 says this, after you have heard her wisdom, what she doesn't want you to see is that in her wake, in her house, she's hiding a bunch of dead, broken, hurting, dead people who have found their way to hell. All of her guests have been led to death. What she doesn't want you to see is that she has a lot to say, but no evidence of life. You want to know when Anthony was reading his spoken word, I was like, man, he stole my whole sermon. It was powerful. As I read texts like this, I try to imagine, what is this for me? And the thing, the picture that came to my mind was turning on social media and walking through the streets of social media in the most shallow of all relationships and listening and scrolling through people just screaming out information. Look at this! Here's what I think. Like me. Look how smart I am. Share me, like me, tell everybody about me. Scrolling through people calling out Twitter and Facebook and all of this to me is literally just calling out, calling out to be heard, calling out to show how much you know and how much information you have and how much smarter you are. And the people who are respected in that world are the shallowest and the ones who have the most information and the ones who themselves ascend to the highest place they can and scream the loudest they can. Because all of the people that could speak for them are dead because they followed them. Mm. 
Church, we are in a dangerous time. Because of modernity, the danger and the cost of that is that we have grown far more personalized, but we do not have personal relationships. We have grown into a world where everybody who says something needs equal respect in our minds. As long as they say it, it should be up. Everybody should be able to call out things. Everybody should be able to make statements. Everybody should be able, everybody has to have, and what we have grown into is a people who have zero discernment between knowing what's wise and what's foolish. It is really hard to be follower of Christ in this time and it is really hard to be pastors in this time and it is really hard to be Christians in this time and here's why Christianity has synchronized itself with modernity so much so that we can't even tell the difference between being a Christian and living in the modern age Our sermons are online. Our small group studies are online. I've heard people say they go to church online. Their community is online. Their lives are virtual and digital. And in all of that, they cannot distinguish between actually the people who are telling them because the reality is Facebook and social media and online with all of its benefits is a great place to hide those who have been killed in the wake of following them. We're asking for answers, but we're not asking for wisdom. Because what wisdom calls us into church is something far different. Let me give you an illustration that I heard from Andy Crouch and shaped my life. And then I want to read to you Ephesians 1. Andy said this, the word person came from the Roman times where there was only one person or type of person. And that was a man who was the head of his home. That was the person. They were a voting agent. They were a person, persona. They were a part of that culture, that context. And everybody else, women, children, slaves, everybody else was not a person. And in Rome, there was a depersoning of those created in the image of God and an elevation. Here's what happens in a personalized world. We deperson others. And what happens in that is that there is the weak, the vulnerable, the broken, the ones who can't accumulate wealth and wisdom, the one who can't accumulate wealth and, and all those kinds of things, the ones who cannot have it, they're the ones who get left in the wake. And inside of it, Many have been replaced. And what has happened is in Rome comes this group of people 
And you would walk through the streets where there is only one kind of person and what you would hear pouring out of these homes was songs of men and women and children and slave and free and they were all one new person in Christ. It was only through the church that you could see a people who had moved away from the depersoning and made all these people see the truth of their value and worth and their personhood that could only be found through a relationship with Christ, through covenant with him and in his family, the community of God. They found who they were. And they found wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And I want to read this to you. Before we end. Because what the call of this series is. As we go through all of it is. I want to warn you. Of not coming throughout this series to just gain information so that you can tweet better stuff than everybody else. To not gain information so that you can find the answers to solve the world's problems. To not gain information so that you look higher and more elevated than everybody else. What we're calling us into is that we need to find that wisdom is not found in information, but wisdom is embodied in the person of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, look at what he says. Blessed is the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, every, in Christ in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, who should be holy and blameless, less before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose in him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him also we have heard the word of truth the gospel of our salvation the believe in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory here we go for this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge 
of him, having your eyes and hearts enlightened that you may know what the hope to which you are called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is immeasurable greatness and his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ, which he raised from the dead and seated him the right hand in heavenly places far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions that above every name that is named, not only in the age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Listen to this call that if you see that he is the one, Christ is the one who embodied all wisdom and power and authority, that he is the ruler over all things, that our prayer should be that he himself will give you a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom, and that you would only see it, that you will only find it as you gain knowledge of him. Church, what these times should really do for us is not cause us to seek the answers, yes, yes. but to seek Christ. Yes, there are so many people in this room and across who call themselves Christians and are saying things that might be good information, but you don't have the spirit of Christ. You don't look like his child. You don't look like one filled with his spirit. You look like one who is using his name and authority, but don't have his wisdom. We are not marked by our relationship. We are trying to be louder. We are trying to ascend rather than invite. Invite to the table. To sit with people around a table who might kill you. Who might hate you. That he's prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That you're eating with those and fellowshipping with those rather than, and if I'm honest, the foolishness of our statements is many of us, our relationships and our lives and our own churches are marked with a litany of people who have been destroyed by our relationships. There's more people who we've hurt and wounded and we're trying to hide behind our statements because we don't want people to come into the house and see how many people have been broken by us. We're trying to sound smart rather than inviting people in. At our own cost, prepared, inviting into relationship, wanting to know others, wanting to, to see the pain and the struggle, wanting to embody it as a church. I've become more and more convinced that my laser focus in times of division has been, Lord, help us to have a church that is united, that we can point to, to say, this is what Christ can do. Yeah. 
He can take people who are different and take people with different persuasions and different lives and different backgrounds and different all peoples who come into Christ find unity. Church, can we in this series see that what we really need in these times is a deeper relationship with Jesus himself. He, listen to what Proverbs says, he is the one who has mixed the wine. He is the one who through his own death slayed the beast. He is the one who has set the table and he is the one who has invited the scoffer and at his own price would lay down his own life so that you could come and sit at the table with him. And that as we come, we come hungry and thirsty for him and that we realize in these times with loud voices screaming out all around us and we trying to enter in and get louder than everybody else, what we need to do is seek wisdom in Christ. Because I don't, I don't know how, apart from his spirit, I'll know when to say something and when not to say something. I'll know when to stand up and fight and when to lay down my life. I don't know when I should go there or, or do this, but I do know this. walking with me and he's correcting me and he's confronting me and he's calling me to repent and apologize and he's and he's calling me to to lay down my pride and he's calling me that even when I do say something he's gracious with me that I shouldn't have said and even when I don't say something he's gracious with me that I should have said and all the way through it he's walking with me on this path and he's called me into a family of people that I can gain to the table, church, you're admitting this is what you need. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.